This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Uh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. Shorts! <laughs> From WNYC. Yes. And NPR. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. And this. I actually brought a list. Okay, let, what, let's, why don't you share with me your list? Where is this thing? This is Andrew Morenz. He's a writer and editor at the New Yorker magazine. Oh, I might have gotten lost. Who occasionally pops onto our show. Maybe you were mugged Maybe. by a. Ah, uh, here it is. And he recently got obsessed with a, um, it's a list of measurements. Base units, they're called. There's, they're SI base units. The Système International, you know. So let me do it this way. Um, have you ever wondered how long an inch is? I mean, exactly how long. I know, I just look at a ruler. Well, but how do you know that your ruler and my ruler do have the same amount of inch space? Or that someone in China, that their inch is our inch, is your inch is my inch? Um, I haven't really thought about it, but I w- I'm just assumed that there's like a master inch somewhere. Bien sûr. I, I say it in French for a reason, which you'll feel in a moment. That is what was on this list that Andrew was looking at. It's a list of standard measures for everything we have around how big something is, how far something is, how hot something is. It's all on this list. Okay. So when you go down the list of the Système International de Units. Here's what you get. Uh, a meter... A meter is a fraction of a second of the distance traveled by light in a vacuum. Okay. What? A second is how much radiation corresponds to the transition between two hyperfine levels of the ground state of the cesium-133 atom. That's the definition of a second? How many times does a particular atom jiggle? Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, an ampere, which measures electric current. You know, an amp is a constant current which, if maintained in two straight parallel conductors of infinite length, would produce between these conductors a force equal to 2 times 10 to the negative 7th newtons per meter of length. I have no idea what that means. See, that's the thing. If you look at the actual definitions of any of these things, amp, meter, second, whatever, you go... But there is one standard on the list that is unique for its simplicity. The definition of the standard unit of measurement that is a kilogram is... No math, no numbers. It is a thing. A particular thing? A plum-sized thing. It is the only thing we use to measure things. It's the last one standing. The only physical standard left. Why is it the last? And why were there, is it, what? wait, what? (laughs) Let me just take you back to the beginning of the story. Like, I must admit that I I expected this story to be 
a lot more boring than I found. It's like an epic <laughs> story. It's really that is Latif Nasser, science historian, regular on our show. And he says, if you go all the way back to the very first farmers back in Mesopotamia. All of the earliest measurements were super intuitive. And he says a lot of them came from the body. As in, that bunny is coming close to the net. How close, Dad? Two hands. But it's not just like, because we think of like hands and feet, but it was also, there are so many other kinds of uh, measurements, like you would say, oh, something is as far as, you know, my voice can carry. Or that something is as far as um, I can see sitting on the top of a camel. Or something is as far as I can throw a stone. So that would mean like say, okay, I'm going to build a farm here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it three thrower rocks across? Yeah, yeah. The way I read about it was like travelers. Like if you're a Saharan traveler, you know, and you're, you need to know where the next watering hole is, <laughs> that's kind of a life and death uh, uh, measurement. Yeah. They would say it's, you know, three thrower rocks away or it's 10 thrower rocks away. But, but you know, that there might be some built-in uncertainty there because if you ask Achilles... Yeah. Uh, it could be two thrower rocks away, but if you ask me, it would be like 78. You have nailed exactly the problem <laughs> with the oh. thrower rock uh, system. And these problems kind of came to a head in the 1700s. It's the eve of the of the French Revolution. In a little town called Paris. It's a pretty um, cosmopolitan place, which means that people are coming from different places and they all have their own measures. Approximately 250,000 different units of measurement in regular use. 250,000. Every commodity has its own measure, so you have grain, wine, oil, salt, hay, coal, wood, fabric, everything. And it's extraordinarily confusing. Not to mention it's extraordinarily bad for trade. So if I came to you and I said, Monsieur, I have a bit of cloth, you would say, how much cloth you got? And I'd say, I have uh, two yards. And you say, what's a yard? I said, it's this much. And the other guy would say, no, no, it's this much. And he would say, no, no, it's this much. And he would say, no, no, it's this much. And the, you could see that... Frustrating. It was frustrating. Yeah. And making matters worse. In the 1780s, there was a uh, famine. So there was a shortage of grain, and people were hungry, and people were angry, um, which I am going to uh, call... Uh, they, they were hangry. They were hangry. They were very hangry. So the bakers at the time, they knew that if they raised the price of bread, like an angry mob would basically come and kill them. But they also knew that with no absolute standard, there was no way to be sure that what you were getting is what you were getting. And so what they started doing was they started just lightening their bread loaves by just a little. So as the famine got worse, people would be waiting in longer and longer lines to pay the same amount of money for smaller and smaller loaves. So they were getting hangrier and hangrier. And so one of the things that people are like crying out for is that they want standardized weights and measures. If I go to the bakery and I buy a loaf of bread, I want a whole loaf of bread. Don't short me on this. This is serious. Well, you you know what happens next. The Bastille is stormed and uh, the king is under house arrest and then under the... Guillotine. And as soon as the revolutionary government takes over, they say, all right. Okay, this is one of our first priorities. We are going to make a new standard. But not based on something arbitrary like a king. This is the Enlightenment. Why don't we draw on some kind of totally different authority? The authority of nature. Of nature. Of nature. 
So, long story short, they took the circumference of the Earth. They took a quarter of that circumference, divided that by 10 million, and they got the meter. The meter they then divided by 10, cubed it, filled the cube with water, took the mass of the water, minted a cylinder of metal with that mass, and voila, they created the world's first kilogram. The idea of this was, if we make this thing that is so beautiful and perfect and everybody can see it that way, then not only will France use it, but the whole world will use it then goods and ideas can be exchanged everywhere by all people, and it will be uh, beautiful Liberté, and glorious. fraternité, égalité. Exactly. They wanted something that would be eternal and unchanging for everybody for all time. So now I guess you want to see it, no? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so it's in here. We ended up visiting the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Maryland. And this is where we'll be going in, but we're going to go in. This, this guy, Patrick Abbott, physicist, was our guide. They took us three stories down into the bedrock of the state of Maryland because they want things down here to be totally still. We've just gone through one double door. Here comes another double door. Then we stepped into this vault of a room, and there it was. But what we're looking at then is a glass jar with a little handle on top and then inside that is another glass jar with a little handle on top and inside that is is the thing the <laughs> thing it's kind of gorgeous really the shiniest little cylinder you've ever seen very small and it looks very clean doesn't it too? Yeah, yes. it's almost hard to tell where the like Russian doll glass jar stops because it's so reflective. This might be a crazy question, but can we hold a kilogram? That's our producer, Lynn Levy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious to know what it feels like. We've been talking about it so much. Um, they are very careful with the kilogram. And this isn't even really the real one. The original of the original of the original of the original. Le Grand as they call it. Lives in a basement in France. You can't get anywhere near that one. I could. No, you couldn't. I could get all Tom Cruise on that. You'd die trying. <laughs> Here's how it works. The international prototype the is... The big kahuna. That's the one used to calibrate six identical platinum cylinders. What they call witnesses, or témoins in French. Those witnesses are then used to calibrate another set of cylinders, which are then used to calibrate the U.S. standards, which is what we saw. And that one is used to calibrate all kinds of things. The weight of your lemons, the scale in your bathroom. Green team, you lost 34 pounds. Every time somebody loses a pound on that TV show Biggest Loser. 5.87%. You can actually trace that like a bloodline, if you will, or an unbroken chain back to the international prototype kilogram. To a single object in a basement in France, the holy of holies that is the kilogram. But you're telling me that when something is weighed in the world, often it goes all the way back to this one hunk of metal? That's what I'm saying. Which was why the next part of the story is so uh, disconcerting. What happened in 1989 is that according to Andrew, the folks who take care of the official kilogram, the big K, they took it out of its jars. They put it in a steam bath. Hit it with the steam. That rinses everything. Wait for it to dry. Then they commence a ceremonial weighing. Right. But how do you weigh the thing that is the standard of weight? <laughs> well, That's... you weigh it against the copies. Like the U.S. copy, for example. So they get one of those, and they put it on one side of the scale, and then they put the grand K on the other. And... The IPK, the Le Grand K, the one, is light. 
What? It's light. It doesn't. It, how it, many? How many? How much lighter is it than its sisters? Roughly the mass of a grain of sugar. Oh, yeah. So is that gigantic? It's measurable. Wait, how do they know that it was light and not that the other ones were heavier? Right. Well, they didn't. So they used the second sister copy. Still light. And the third sister copy. Still light. And the fourth and fifth and sixth. In comes the man from Germany. Light. In comes the man from Canada. Light. In comes the man from Spain. Light. Which led them to the troubling possibility that the international standard for weight was losing weight. Well, we think that. We think the big guy's the problem. As far as how it lost that weight, Really, no one knows. One possibility is it got cleaned too much, and maybe some of it got scraped away. Although it's disputed whether cleaning it more would make it lose weight or gain weight. The other theory is outgassing. Like maybe a little hydrogen is seeping out of the metal. And then there was one thing I read that said, foul play cannot be ruled out. Well, see, I was thinking maybe the (laughs) Taliban. Well, it's clear as we may have a slightly trippy situation here. We got a hunk of metal losing weight, and yet because it is the standard. It still weighs exactly a kilogram. Right. If the definition of a kilogram is the mass of the international prototype kilogram, whatever happens when you put that thing on the scale, that's a kilogram. You can't do that. And then everything else in the world is wrong. No, you can't do that. It's, it's ridiculous. Like that doesn't sit right. That's like something that like the North Korean government would do. Just be like, no more cash. Like that. <laughs> we can't just go around capriciously doing stuff like that. Radiolab is supported by BetterHelp. Whether it's already 2 a.m. on a fun night out, graduation time, a new year, we can find ourselves wishing we had more time, wondering where it all went. But there's a question. If we were magically given that time back, what would we do with it? Perhaps you'd spend more time with a friend that you've lost touch with or petting your dog or just noticing the sweetness of doing nothing. The best way to let those special things into your life is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority going forward. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Radiolab today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Radiolab. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so if the standard of weight is, as you're saying, losing weight, so how do you fix that? Well, I'm getting zero cell phone reception down here. That means we're really deep. (laughs) When we were down in that underground room in Maryland, we met a guy who has some thoughts about this. Oh, there he is. Okay. His name's John Pratt. I'm the leader of the Fundamental Electrical Measurements Group at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Hi, John. John walked us through even more uh, high security Um, doors, and then we walked into this. Oh, my God amazing room. It's big. It is big. About three stories tall. Yeah. It's, and it's made of, it's like a silver room. It has a silver gray floor. It has silver shiny walls. And your hair is on the silvery side. Very much so. You probably yes. wouldn't be allowed in here if you were a redhead. No. Yeah, no. 
I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like a wheel turned on its side with the, the thing itself looked sort of just like a like a massive round metal cauldron or like a big metal pot. But then there are all these weird little gizmos and parts and then all these coiled up wires and It's just a stunning machine. But it's all just for the benefit of the one the one measure. The one kilogram. Yep. Because inside that giant cauldron there is an extremely extremely sensitive balance an equal arm balance which is basically like a seesaw or a teeter-totter and usually you would set that up so that you would literally put kid on one side of the teeter-totter kid on the other side of the teeter-totter now you've been in a playground so you know how this goes but what they've done here is on one side of the teeter-totter they've got the kilogram like the ground k that's kid number one on the other side instead of another kilogram or kid two we'll have a highly variable magnet now here's the thing, the magnet won't be touching that side of the scale, it'll be exerting a force, an invisible force on that side. It'll produce a force, and we could use that to hold the balance still. And the force it takes to hold up the balance, that of course is the same as the weight of the gonka sitting on the other side. And if you can convert that force into a number that everybody agrees to, voila! You have just redefined the kilogram. You have wrenched it from the world of things, and it's become attached to the fundamental forces of the universe. Yep, you've, you've grasped the gist of it. You want to see that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. now, I can show you this right. with our Lego version of the watt balance. Okay. If I can fire it up. Lego? Lego one? Well, see, the, 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 the big one was being tested or something, so they took us over to look at the little one. Okay, so we have... Have a little scale and everything. You can see I, I just disturbed the balance and it's, you know, jiggling so around a little. It's free-floating. Okay, so you're now going with your tweezers and you're plucking a itty-bitty... Yep, two-gram mass. He puts this tiny little thimble thing on the balance and now it's going to, he says, levitate. <gasps> now, it's, it's, it prompts me mass on. Mass on. Yeah, yeah I'm going to put the mass on. <laughs> he pushes a button. All right, and... Wait, but when do we see the levitation? That was it. I didn't. I missed it. Do it, it was, again. It was floating. It was floating. It is floating, sitting on the balance. Okay. That's it's, not floating. That is sitting. floating. No, it Does is. it fall to earth? That's a different idea the of levitation. levitation. No, the truth is that once I finally figured out what this guy was doing, it was actually sort of cool. He had taken a little metal weight. He put it on one side of the scale. Then on the other side of the scale, it was just empty. But yet the thing didn't tip over because the empty side actually had a magnetic force equivalent to the metal holding it just perfectly still. So if they're able to do that, does that mean that the Grand K's reign is, is done? Not yet, no, because first of all, we, you have to get straight with a lot of math. MC squared equals H nu, work backwards. You gotta divide by E and then by M. Measure the B field, woo! Let's go. And then you get and your amperes and your watts and your Planck's constant. Classical little Bohr model of atoms and stuff. Anyway. It is actually way more complicated, this whole thing, than I frankly will ever understand. But here's where we are at. You got all these different teams around the world. You got John's team in Maryland with his seesaw. You got another lab, actually a couple of them that have their seesaws. You got a third lab that's literally counting the atoms. They're all doing experiments, comparing numbers, trying to get the numbers to agree so that by whatever route, everybody agrees on exactly what a kilogram is. Right now, they're close. They're, they're in agreement out to about six decimal places, and that's not good enough. They want the numbers to agree out to eight 
decimal places. But if they can do that, then, and only then, will the Grand K be no more. Yeah. Because instead of defining the kilogram as whatever is equal to the Grand K, now you have a new definition. The new definition of the kilogram, the kilogram is the SI unit of mass. Its magnitude is set by fixing the numerical value of the Planck constant to be equal to exactly 6.626069. And we have X's because we haven't all agreed what the final... Those are the missing decimals. Those are the missing decimal places times 10 to the minus 34. When it's expressed in the unit for actions, joule seconds, which is um, a meter squared kilogram per second. Whew. That'll be such a simpler definition. Oh, yeah. No, you've... you've. And what what will happen to the Grand K when the new definition goes into effect? Well, so this is the sad part. Looks like a church. You will will see after the end, the the church where the Foucault... The Grand K may eventually end up in in a place like this. That's a big deal. Where so many standards have gone to die. This is the Musée des Arts et Métiers à Paris. in Paris. So this is the beginning. Cyril Faso was our tour guide. Yeah, what is this? Uh, un litre. He showed us the original liter. Ou alors, est-ce que c'est 0,8 litres? Wow. Some early thermometers. Yeah, an object peut-être qui est drôle. There's one funny object. One room, he showed us the original. I think it was the Parisian meter. So in Paris, this was the infallible, the absolute standard. From 1801, I think. It's in a wooden box with a velvet packing. And it's got silk ribbons at either end. And it's just a very beautiful-looking silver rod. <laughs> I, and it looks like... Oh, to imagine, like, the, the thing, the grand thing being in this place. It's sort of like seeing the Pope in shorts or something. <laughs> it makes me a little, <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable. Special thanks to Ari Adland and Eric Perlmutter and also to Terry Quinn. We don't want to forget Richard Davis and Ken Alder, Bob Waters, Michael Baum, Michael Newman. And finally, thank you to our math angel, soprano, Melissa Hughes. <laughs> Very weird to sing my own name. Also, big props to reporter Andrew Morantz, Latif Nasser, and our producer, Lynn Levy. And, uh, oh, 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 oh. Uh, also, uh, you should go to radiolab.org, not only to support the show by clicking the support button, but also to check out a collaboration video that we did with Henry Reich from Minute Physics. You can see it at radiolab.org or also youtube.com slash Minute Physics. Yet another meditation on what things or unthings are all about. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krolwich. Thanks for listening. <laughs>